So I had a first this weekend. A first? What a kind first. of priesthood, priesthood first? Ooh. Uh, I, you know, we, we bless people all the time, right? We do blessings Indeed. all the time. Uh, blessing is a daily occurrence in mm-hmm. our life. Uh, but it was my aunt, uh, Auntie, Auntie Colette and Uncle Harry's 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, so you got to give them a special uh, anniversary blessing. Yeah, and it was the first time I got to do that really for any of my family, which was kind of neat. They're very devout Catholics, and so that was kind of neat, too, to do that for them and uh, and see, you know, old family members, although I was... I was so exhausted that weekend. Like I was, I got there and I was, I got like three and a half hours sleep that night before I wasn't sleeping very well. Yeah. And I was, and I had a wedding the day before and I was just like up, I've been traveling up and down the Island left, right and center. Anyway. So I got there. It was really nice. But then I'm like, I'm sitting outside as I, as I grow with age now, I I've embraced introversion a little bit more, even though I'm still an extrovert. (laughs) And I just wanted to hide in a corner and be by myself. I was just so tired. But then, you know, I'm the priest of the family. Everyone wants to come talk to me. Everyone's got. Absolutely. And it was some nice conference. It was great. It was really neat. But it was really a beautiful thing to Mm -hmm. be able to offer that gift for my aunt and uncle. They were just so grateful that I could do that for them. Have you ever done that for family? Oh man, nothing like that. You know, I've uh, I had I've had a few masses at my uh, family's home. My family, my mom and dad, they come up for mass pretty much every weekend. But mm-hmm. as far as like a particular kind of blessing, not really. They drive to your parish every weekend. Yeah, they yeah, they drive like it's like a forty five minute drive for them. But they'll okay, it's not too bad. So uh, they they'll do it, and then we go out to eat afterwards, which is delightful. Um, nice. A lot of times they listen to the podcast on the way up. So oh nice. Hi mom. Hi, hi dad. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Grandpa. Strappa. Yeah, they all they all kind of come up uh, very often. You know, it's funny. When I was traveling to Chicago, I stopped with some family friends, uh, with some family in Toledo, and mm-hmm. I was hanging out with my cousins. And all the, like they all know I'm a priest, but all of a sudden they kind of realized, wait a second, you're a priest. If we get married, you can be the priest at our wedding. So they're like, hey, can you be the priest at our wedding? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So that was mm-hmm. kind of neat. Like it's just a lot of times for my family, I'm still just Anthony, and they know I'm a priest, but it's just kind of. Getting all that, figuring out what that means sometimes it takes it takes a little while. It which is takes fun. it takes a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of neat too. Like uh, I was wearing my cassock for the first half of the evening, and it was just getting very hot. So once the blessing was over, I got out of my cassock and into my dress cleric. So I wanted to be fancy for the day. But like one of my second cousins, uh, she was asking her mom, "Why is Harrison wearing a dress?" Yes, yes, <laughs> yes to the dress. I was like, it's a cassock. And it's like, kind of try to explain it to them and everything. It was kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah, so that was kind of neat. And then, yeah, and then on Saturday, I had a wedding for a uh, a woman who I've been doing spiritual direction for for the last year and a half. She came on our spiritual exercises last year. And so I got to preach at her wedding on Saturday. So that was lovely. So from a first day of marriage to a 50th year of marriage, all in one weekend. Whew. Yeah. So I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And welcome to Clerically Speaking. Well, I just got back from the terrible land of Arizona. Okay. Before yeah. you even go into the conference. Okay. How was In-N-Out? In-N-Out? I didn't go to In-N-Out. Well. I, I, Anthony? Yeah, Father Anthony. Yeah, yes, Father Harris. Um, go back on the plane. Okay. Go out to the West Coast. Uh-huh. Go to In-N-Out. Okay. And then we'll record. Okay, um, how about we just put do one episode right now, so we have one in the can, and then right after we record, I will buy plane tickets back to Arizona. Okay, that's fair. Is that fair? fair? Okay. That how, being said... How? How can you not go to In-N-Out? You went to Whataburger, but you didn't go to In-N-Out? Yeah, so I don't know. I don't really care about this thing that these the people internet care about. Cares. The internet cares. The internet cares, cares deeply. I just don't, because, <laughs> I mean, I've got plenty of strong opinions about stuff that doesn't matter but when it comes to fast food it's just like it's fast food i, I just uh, but, i just don't care so much uh, but didn't john say he was going to take you to in and out he did but um we we were too busy smoking and cigars matt baker didn't take you no um, what kind of a what kind of a west coaster is he that's not don't put this on matt baker this was, i just did know. i just did <laughs> So, anyway, I went to Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And uh, I don't like Phoenix, Arizona. I don't like it at all because the air is very dry. Uh-huh. And it's very flat, Father Harrison. Yes, it is very all flat. Of, all of the roads It's essentially are... a desert. It's literally a desert. Yeah, it's it's a monument to 
the hubris of human beings who decide to live there. But like all the roads are straight. Yep. And they're in a grid. Yep. And there's it's flat. Yep. There's something very inhuman about it. Do you remember when you were in P- Pittsburgh, how like the rolling hills and the, like your geography, your geography should have squiggles in it. There should be squiggles. Human beings are you meant see, to live in squiggly land, not grid land. Pittsburgh was very normal to me because right. I have Vancouver Island is gen- essentially just a bunch of squiggles. Yeah. We don't live on a grid. We were made for squiggles, <laughs> not for straight lines. Like downtown Victoria, there's like a four block radius of grid and that's it. Yeah. Even that's pushing it a little bit. That's mm-hmm. all the geography allows. Yep. But how, okay, but how was the conference? The conference itself was very, very good. So this was yeah. the uh, CYMC Life Teen Conference. It was a conference for youth ministers. There were a bunch of priests there. I got to meet Father Dan Beeman, who is a great guy, really good guy. Even good though he has a blue check mark. Yeah, he still has the blue check mark. But he was great about Twitter. So. Um, I bump into Father Dan, and he, you know, shakes my hand, is very genuine, happy to see mm-hmm. me. I was happy to see him. Great. We didn't have a full conversation, though. Right. I'm sitting in the back. One of the talks is going on, and he, he's doing work for this conference. And he comes up next to me, and without, like, prefacing at all, he tells me this story about Freemasons. So he's telling me this whole story, and and it, it made me so happy because it was just like this seamless transition from my internet Twitter world into like real life, and I was like, yeah. "That's just so it's fascinating, fascinating." That was awesome. So it was that. Who else did you meet? Uh, let's see, I you know, met Matt Baker. I got to hang out with John Blevins a whole bunch, which was great. Who I met uh, a bunch of people from who listen to the show, who yep. uh, know about us from Twitter. Oh, I did- want to say this. I want to say this. So apparently. There are a good number of seminarians who listen to our show. Oh, cool. And that makes me happy because seminary is the worst thing ever. And if we in some way can alleviate the pain and suffering of that cross, <laughs> that makes me happy. So stick you with see, it, guys. So Priest is really awesome. Yeah. Dear seminarians, uh, we will just share this now because enjoy it while you can. Because really, it's not actually the worst thing ever. Because actually, you got a lot of free time, even though you think you don't. You actually do. <laughs> it's you actually true. have a lot of free time. So enjoy it while you can. Didn't you meet the McGrady's as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Katie and Tommy, they're great. Um, Katie is an excellent speaker. Oh, good. Like, not only was, like, her content great and what she was, but, like, her technique and the way she delivered and the way she controlled the stage, just incredibly skillful. It was hmm. impressive. She's probably the second. Uh, it's hard because I think, um, uh, what's his name? Mark Hart is pr- probably the best Catholic speaker, but she was like, they were both really good. So they were definitely the, the best, but everyone oh, nice. was good. All nice. the content was good, that experience. So I think it was especially good if you are new to youth ministry yeah. or if, uh, I think it'd be good to bring like core members on. So mm-hmm. people who are volunteers, if you can somehow bring them to this, I think it'd be really enlivening, but it's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. I think that was the bigger part, even more than the content and the stuff. Um, and it was a little bit of an advertisement for Life Teen as well, which, of oh, course, yeah. you know, I get you got to do that. Fine. Yeah. Um, but just how encouraging it was to be with people who wanted to be there, who mm-hmm. are who prayed. The masses were, were beautiful. So I really enjoyed it. It was good. I, I would like to go back if I can. Yeah, I went. I went. Uh, when did I go now? I want to say uh, two, three years ago, three years ago now, maybe three years, yeah. I think. And it was a re- yeah, it was the same thing. I just went by myself. They have this scholarship for priests that if it's your first time. They will pay for everything for you to go down. I know. I went for free. Yeah. So yeah, it was nice. it, yeah, it's it's uh they pay for your hotel, flight, and everything. I was like, and so a friend of mine said, You have to come to this. And I was just about to start up youth ministry at our cathedral parish. So Father John said, Yes, you can go. Mm-hmm. And um and it was for me it was a great experience too. I I like I found I went I did I skipped the XLT that night because I was just like praised and worshipped out. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, yeah, I, the, and, and, you know, I mean, I, it's, listen, it's very well done. Like it, it is, it is very, it is. like it's really good. It's just, you know, it's not my thing per se. I don't mind mm-hmm. it a bit, but I was like, okay, I, I need a little quiet. <laughs> that was, was the one thing because you know? it was just, there were just so many people. Yeah. I didn't realize how exhausted I was until I got back yeah. to, you know, cause it's just like, there's people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally but, get that. But for me, the encouraging thing was my experience as a priest there. Hmm. Here, helping out with confessions and everything, yep. and then just people coming up and talking to you. I remember I was standing in line, 
at the at the very long line at the coffee bar because there's only one coffee bar at the conference center <laughs> and the people in front of me to say hey father what do you want i'll get it for you i was just like what <laughs> like, yeah you have to understand yeah. this is kind of it's a little uncommon experience for me for some reason and it's just like it, it's those little signs was just they or um when someone came up and they were just talking about how they're about to go and celebrate their friend who's a priest or his anniversary and he said i said oh is it a big one they said no it's his seventh I thought, mm-hmm. what a beautiful thing that you make that effort every year to celebrate his priesthood. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you feel, I came back refreshed as a priest mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. And I thought, regardless if I was going to uh, take on life, we actually ended up did taking on life team for a couple of years. And, um, um, but even if we didn't, for me, like that was just a great, and I really will always be appreciative to that conference for that. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah. Now, he wasn't really a much of a conference speaker. He was more of a writer of books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. St. Thomas Aquinas and the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about All I right. Like this, uh, I like this chill vibe we got going on the podcast today. Yeah. It's mid-afternoon for me. Yeah. I just, I'll speak about it in a bit. I just came back from a, a, a procession thing at the school. I'm mm-hmm. just like in the, I just want to kind of chill. Yeah. We'll see All here. Right. We've, we've got, yeah. we got some heat with the Summa today. So the <laughs> okay. Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. And the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up... JD was kind of announcing this new project he's on, but it really kind of got me uh, thinking. So he says, between 2020 and 2100, Africa's population is expected to increase from 1.3 billion to 4.3 billion. Africa is the future. Will Christ be, be its king? The question is why I'm proud to be part of the team helping to launch African News, African Catholic News for an Af- for, from African Catholics. Um, but... I never really, you know, it's, I've always thought a bit about how maybe Asia's got the future, but I think with China's one child policy, I think that's going to be difficult, but it was like, it was the demographic, it was the pure demographics. Africans tend to have children. Yeah. Westerners don't. Right. And Mm -hmm. we're going to like, it's not just like in terms of church, it's like, I'm just thinking, like it just, it opened up my mind to this idea, like the church is going to be so different in 50 years. Oh, absolutely. In so many ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. The West, the idea of the Church of the West is going to be dead in 50 years. Mm -hmm. And it is going to be a Southern Church. This is something, um, what's his name? Um, uh, John Allen has talked a lot about. About how it's the the Southern Hemisphere that's going to be the future of the Church. And I don't think he's wrong. Sorry. Well, I think if you look at the history of the Church, kind of like the, the, the center, the nexus of the Church is always moving. Like it starts yeah. in the Near East, it kind of moves towards Rome. Like at least in Europe, you see it moving up and down mm-hmm. as um, people need reconverted and converted again. It's always moving, um, mm-hmm. and for a while, it's kind of been in quote unquote the West. But if you really pay attention to what's going on, the church is always kind of like its center seems to be always on the move. So it's not terribly surprising. Um, yeah. Though, how can you get? Uh, I think one of the things that we're not good at anywhere and maybe this is just a human being thing that we we have a difficult time seeing the universality of the church we're all we're often very um hemmed in on our little perspective of the church and we and we take that and project it on the universal especially in the west but the church is a lot bigger than just us and just our parish and just our country yeah exactly and it's and uh i just i mean and rome will always be the center obviously because it right, 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 right. it's not yeah. going but it's not going to be taken from people of the West. Mm-hmm. I think this is why like, this is why the Francis phenomenon of of of, of Southern uh, uh, South American, for example, taking over the papal throne, um, is just the first among many in many ways. You might still yep. see. I mean, like there is a European culture that is at the heart of the church, but I think this is all going to change, and it's going to be very interesting to see what the church is going to look like in fifty years when we're 
at our retirement ages or maybe i might be dead in 50 years so it's um, possible it's very possible right but it's i just thought it was it's just kind of i don't know it's like one of those things of like when you meant to mention the demographic i was just like holy smokes yeah the west the west is dead we're gonna be nothing we're gonna <laughs> africa is gonna be the economic powerhouse and everything because we're gonna be nothing well yeah we'll see what yeah. happens we'll see all right, I've got one from Luke at the Luke the, who says, when the church proposes human answers to human problems, she becomes something she's not, a living lie. When she proposes solutions that flourish from her divine roots, then she becomes who she truly is, the bride of Christ. So Luke got all cranky at um, the, the question of the USCCB Twitter person. So... For those who haven't been paying attention, the USCCB had a big old meeting, what, last week? Um, mm-hmm. Talking about different reforms and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, while that was going on, um, the USCCB Twitter account was very active. And apparently they have this nice young person who's doing a very good job with the Twitter account. And they ask this question, why do, we, why do you stay? If you're a young person, like why? Uh, oh, if you're young Catholic, who st- uh, what has made you stay? And it was just like a question that's a question you ask to get engagement and blah, 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 blah. And But Luke picked up on a problem with that, which is like, hold on a second, hold on a second. Like all of these outside things, all of these accoutrement of the church, that's not the point. The point is the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Without the church, you can't experience Christ. And then he goes on this huge thread just talking about that far too often, and it's something we've talked about too, especially during, I think, our, our Mary episode, that when the church sees itself as this human institution that needs to fix things in a human way, she becomes less than what she is. What she needs to do is constantly propose the gospel and the saving power of Jesus Christ. And then her light really shines forth. So to kind of double down on the truth and the divine aspects of the church instead of trying to sludge through the human aspects to fix human problems. That makes sense. All that stuff mm-hmm. I just said. Yep. I hope it did. Now, um, well, it, it's not the Luke, the it's the Luke, the it's from the Simpsons. Oh, see, I don't know all this Ar- Simpson arcana. There is an episode where sideshow Bob is arrested and they say, well, why do you have the, and, and he was, uh, they're talking about him going on parole and they're concerned about his going back to Bart for vengeance. And he says, well, I, why do you have die Bart die written on your chest? And he goes, it's not, that's not English. That's German for the, the, the Bart, the. And so <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's where it comes from. Um, you know, I think, yeah, it's interesting. I, I posted that question on our parish f- Facebook page as well. And we got some, you know, a little controversy with it too. And I, I, Again, it's it's just one question, and, it, and I don't think anyone who's answering those questions without it being the bride, they are all. I would say they're all flowing out of the idea that this is the bride. Yeah. Um, but that these are these are these accoutrements and everything are all yeah. um, expressions of the bride in a way. Yeah. And yeah, this, yeah. It's this particular expression of the bride that has kept me to be with her as bride. So, um, but I do think, and the USDCB person really did do a, a fantastic job with it and um uh with the with the twitter account just trying to take it to a new direction um which is really really awesome because i think we get so tired of these official accounts just not interacting with people and everything like that Yeah, exactly um but um his point though that i really kind of loved about it is this idea of about like human answers to human problems like you know one of the complaints the cna guys are talking on their podcast about this week was um a very bureaucratic response to the sex abuse crisis. Like these are all good and necessary reforms, mm-hmm. but there was no one, there was no Bishop being prophetic. There was no one kind of claiming like we need to like calling his brothers to conversion just to hear that a passionate plea for something. Yeah. And it, it, it gets, when you get, and when you get to this idea, that, like the church is really just this institution that we control where we're going to develop five-year plans to answer things really can stifle the Holy Spirit's work within the church to bring her to reform and renewal. Yeah, I agree. We're going to do it. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm here. I'm here to support you. Thank you. Here we go. At Audrey Asad. Happy Pride Month. I love and celebrate you. Rainbow, 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 rainbow. I, 
you know, someone was posting on Twitter about how, you know, we maybe should try and take this, um, this quote in context. It's not saying anything about supporting same-sex marriage, etc. And I, I would agree with that. I think the, the statement was kind of vague, but that's also a problem, I think. When you're someone whose kind of brand is built upon being a Catholic artist, mm-hmm. you have a very, you have a, your voice carries a weight. Yeah. And I think if you want to express this opinion, you may want to back off the brand. And I know she kind of has in a way, but you want to kind of back off this brand that I'm a Catholic, I'm a public Catholic. Um, I, I don't know what the whole thing's about, where it's coming from. She actually has another post from her Instagram about this. Uh, I hear and see a lot of you experiencing confusion about my pride posts. Those of you who are sticking with me, even though you don't share my feelings, thank you. Those of you who feel a need to unfollow or disown me in some way, thank you too. I'm not going to go into details or explanation right now because I'm simply more interested and invested in the relationships I have in my life, out of which my statement was actually born. Mm-hmm. I love and celebrate my gay bride friends, and I trust Providence to guide us all deeper into love and truth and healing, whatever that looks like. And I guess this is my beef, though. It's too. It sounds nice, but it's so incredibly vague that it actually... There's so little meaning. There's nothing. They're not really. They're trying to take a stand without taking a stand. Yeah. Does that make sense? And I, when you're being a public Catholic, and not only that, there, there's something about supporting and, and accompanying and journeying with people who have same-sex attraction and Pride Month. Yeah, these are different things. These are different things. Pride Month is a celebration of a kind of love that is that a Catholic cannot celebrate. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean we neglect our brothers and sisters who struggle with these attractions. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I haven't I don't think I've tweeted yet about uh gender identity that kind of stuff cuz I'm I'm pretty convinced that social media is not an appropriate platform to discuss these ideas. Uh, yeah. I've seen very little fruit come from the discussion of these ideas because they are so charged. I've spoken about it in talks I've given uh, because it's in those scenarios, in those situations, you can give the not just the ideas, but the people and the emotions and the conflict. And you can give that more space and you can give mm-hmm. you can make that more sacred mm-hmm. because there is a lot of suffering going on here. So. Mm-hmm there's a desire to show people who have same-sex attraction that we love them because that is absolutely true. But love does not include um, supporting sinful action. Uh, mm-hmm. And sex outside of marriage, which is between a man and a woman, that is sinful. Mm-hmm. And if people are celebrating that action, that's not something we can celebrate along with them. Right. So there's this, there's this good desire to say like, no, 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 we don't, we don't hate you. You know, yeah. uh, even if you are in the midst of this sin and you don't even see it as a sin, that doesn't mean we hate you either. Right. Um, right. We don't agree with what you're doing, but like if man, if I, if I couldn't love people who, who, if I couldn't love people who sinned, I would not be able to love literally any of my parishioners. Right. right. <laughs> so exactly. It, exactly. But the thing is you can't, you can't discuss the, you can't add those nuances in social media, it's just not a place for it. it. Just doesn't work, and this is kind of a and so and your other ask the other thing you're pointing out, there is a a severe problem, at least uh, in the Western English speaking world, of Catholic figures who in some way represent the Catholic Church and are not equipped to do so in an official way. It's different than just a personal witness when you are uh, you know when you have your blog or when you're a Catholic speaker or whatever you are, you've take on a deeper identity, and I don't think everyone is equipped to do that well, which is not to say you have to be flawless when you do this. Cause I think even you and I have made mistakes. Oh yeah. But <laughs> we, you just, it's a bigger responsibility. I think a lot of people realize, and you can do more harm than good if you're not very prayerfully, not just prayerfully, but also intellectually studious and precise about these things. So I get what she's trying to do. I think I get what she's trying to do. Yeah. I just think it was a misstep and it's, it's a very complicated thing to talk about without actually, yeah. Because these aren't just ideas; these are exactly. people. And even right. though, yes, indeed, your deepest identity as a human being is being a beloved child of God, especially if you're, you're if you're baptized, mm-hmm. our sexuality and what we're attracted to is also a very deep 
part of us and very close to our mm-hmm. hearts because it's ingrained in our bodies and our psychology as well. Yeah. And so you can't talk about these things as pure issues or as just a hashtag. It doesn't work. It's disrespectful to everyone involved. So the idea of turning um, this issue into a propaganda thing of just making it about rainbows and hashtags is bullshit and is wrong and we should stop doing it uh, because this is too important. This is too precious. This is too big of an issue to do it on social media. So I, I refuse to do so in that yeah. aspect. Um, I, I also think, yeah, I agree with you that these are very comp- because these are people, these are complex things that can't be captured in a buzz phrase. But this is, for me, this is like also an expression too of why I think maybe it's also just growing older in age as well, but this is why I'm getting more and more hesitant around public Catholic figures in general. We, we've allowed celebrity culture to get to, to such a point in our Catholic culture that um, people do something really good and beautiful and they take on a very prominent public role very quickly. But the popularity does, the maturity doesn't go along with the popularity or the yeah. education necessary to take on that public role doesn't come on with the popularity. And so we can say things, we don't recognize the weight of our words sometimes that by perhaps like, you know, by trying to be inclusive and loving to those who you think, or by those who, who, who have same sex attraction, you're also by necessity also excluding now all those in your circle who have loved and supported your work for so long, who don't agree with that worldview. There is an exclusion going on that you may not be realizing about. Like it's the whole idea around inclusion, exclusion thing, right? When we're trying to be inclusive, we get so inclusive that we actually exclude. Mm. Um, Because absolute inclusion is actually impossible. Um, The, but I do think like we, it's something, I think this is these, these types of things happening need us to take a step back as a cath as a church in North America and maybe start asking ourselves a question. Are we letting people gain a public profile too quickly? Yeah. I you mean, there's not, that's much a whole other question. That, there's not much we can do. I know, I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know. I was saying it's a question we should be asking ourselves at the very least. It's something that needs right. to be discerned and mulled over. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a lot to go on there. I think we have to do an episode on this whole question. We're going uh, to because, yeah. because I do agree. I think this is something you can't just tweet about or even do a tweet thread about. It's, it, this is why I want to study theological anthropology as well, because mm-hmm. this is these are the reasons. We have obviously done a lousy job as a church uh, promoting and explaining our vision of the human person. Yeah. And I hope people realize this isn't like we're, we're using Audrey Assad's tweet to talk about a larger issue. This mm-hmm. isn't all about her. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't make it that. There's, I mean, we're, you, can, you can apply everything we said to a bunch of different Catholic figures. So that's not, yeah. that's not what this is about. But just yeah. a good opportunity to kind of talk about talking about it and uh so there you go cool what do you got oh what do i got let's let's pick something let's see okay this is from thomas mooney at lay pride lay pride what a silly thing anyway so (laughs) jokes deacon and for those and for those we keep in the silence of our hearts dot 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 me for my parents, my family, and my friends, and for the newborn infants, and for the fa- deacon, we pray to the Lord. <laughs> so I, I think that's really good. And there's a picture of uh, the flash saying, I'm not fast enough. So, um, Father Harrison, what is your opinion on the prayer intention that we keep in the deep silence of our hearts? Because I hate it. But go ahead. Tell me your opinion. I, I got a twofold opinion. I don't like it when you kind of... Oh, well, I don't like it when it's, and for those prayer, now we can publicly say what's on our hearts. I don't like that at all. Right. So when people say, when people just add their own yeah. intercession spontaneously, not a fan. I don't mind it, but I think there is actually a proper place for that in the liturgy already, mm-hmm. which is in the collect. Mm. Right. That's the whole point of the collect, to take up all of our intentions, all of our, everything we want to bring to Jesus in that mass. He literally yes. kind of collects it. And lifts it up to the Father, um, and that's but, the prayer we pray before we sit down and listen to the readings. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I not against it, I guess, but at the same oh time, my gosh. I, I don't know. Your 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 not strong opinion is making my opinions even stronger. Okay, as I ahead. listen to your okay. as I listen to your I don't know and your, because and well, your here's weakness, the other thing, Father Harrison. It's time to lay down the hammer, okay? That okay, prayer does not exist in my parish, so... <laughs> oh, it doesn't, okay. No, so, it's so, like, that's why I'm so, laughing. I'm like, I don't really hear it, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
This is this is it's almost it's almost a a staple in every parish that I've ever been to, in every mass I've ever been to. So you have the prayers of the faithful or the universal prayers or the general mm-hmm. um uh, the general intentions. The idea of those prayers is to pray in a general way for the world. So they should be um, not specific. They should be broad prayers to kind of capture all these things, right? Mm-hmm. So far too often, there's far too many of them. There's so mm-hmm. many of them that it almost becomes pointless because it's like, you know, hour-long litany mm-hmm. of things, uh, which we, and if you pray like Eucharistic prayer uh, one, if you listen to other parts of the Mass, we pray for a lot of those things already. Right. So it's just kind of like just repeating yourself for no reason. But also, they're supposed to be out loud and they're supposed to be general. So praying for the specific intention you have in the silence of your heart, that's not the place for it. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So what, what I think a good practice is this. A good practice is this. When you go to Mass as a layperson, have an intention for that Mass. Like, Lord, I want to offer this Mass for whatever intention that's your prep beforehand that you should do, getting ready for Mass. Yeah. That's a place for it. Um, and, okay, so if you do this intercession, either there's not enough time for you to con- – or there's far too much time. Right. It's just liturgically awkward. It's not yep. the biggest thing in the world. I would change a thousand things in the liturgy before uh, – I would reform a thousand things in the liturgy before I would do this. But just one of those things that I just find very annoying. And literally every time there's an offering for – the intention we have in the silence, deepest parts of our sacred hearts. Whenever that happens, my prayer is quite literally that, Lord Jesus, please remove this thing from the liturgy because it bothers me so much. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. I think you're right about the general thing, right? If this yeah. is something, the specific stuff is really for the beginning of the Mass at the Collect. So, yeah. If you like it, that's nice. I just yeah. think it's dumb. Yeah. And just as people give to the collection at Mass, so mm-hmm. people generously donate and po- sponsor this podcast. Let's hear from Patreon Pontifications. Patreon Pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. <laughs> I love that bumper. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as pro- paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. This week's tweet comes from Marianne Bose at mabose402, and she has chosen a tweet from the great Father Matt Fish. Yes. So this is a tweet from a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's good. I, I want to talk about this uh, whole thing a little bit. So the great Father Matt Fish, follow him at FR Matt Fish on Twitter. He says, it can be tempting to see Twitter as a safe, casual medium, but it is quite scary how any priest or bishop is just one imprudent or even just very unpopular tweet away from having his public life torn apart. If the, f- if the far greater, nastier part of Twitter gets word of you. So he tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, and this is when, uh, who was the bishop who tweeted about the gay pride parade? No, it wasn't about Bishop Tobin, was it? I thought oh, it, was he about... was, it was. It was referencing two. Yeah, I think it was referencing yeah. Bishop, Bishop Tobin. Tobin. Yeah, Bishop who said, Tobin. "Don't bring your kids to the gay pride parades." And then he's also referencing another uh, popular priest on Twitter, Father. Is it Kusak? Yeah, Kusak. Yeah. Um, and you saw they tweeted some things, and the wider. Twitter, like the Twitter piranhas, like the school of Twitter piranhas that exist out there. They're always searching for someone to say some sort of political thing or something. And they just like dive bomb in and just like tear an account to shreds. Uh, that's what he was referencing. And you kind of forget because we're kind of in our little Catholic, even though we're, we're, we're very popular in Catholic Twitter. Catholic Twitter is still kind of a bubble that you're usually safe from the greater outside evil, dark Twitter lands. But, you know, it's it, any tweet can be can be preyed upon by mm-hmm. these <laughs> these other masses <laughs> that will like try to tear your whole life apart because of a tweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's about that's why it's about some prudence. I'm trying to yeah. remember that as much as possible when I'm tweeting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to let your emotions get high, etc. But um, um, sometimes you're just going to say things that you know are the truth. Like, like I think, especially like something like Bishop Tobin said, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. No, I thought it was, a, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Absolutely. But of course, people who do not agree with this worldview are going to come out um, very forcefully against it. Yeah. But he didn't. Re- he didn't uh, respond or anything against it. In fact, his kind of apology wasn't 
much of an apology. It was it was one of those. I'm sorry so you feel that, that way. way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I kind of appreciated because he's not going to back down from the Catholic position. I mean, that's kind of who Bishop Tobin kind of is. Yeah. Um, and uh, but we just have to be careful, and we also need to remember to pray for, you know. And sometimes priests will say stupid things. Yeah. We. We will. We have said. I have. We have said. Things. <laughs> we have. I think we've apologized for it on this podcast. Yes, before. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, because sometimes have. you really. I mean, yeah. thankfully, they are so niche towards the Catholic world mm-hmm. that they usually won't bubble over. So we're not. Yeah. We're fine. But it, it's it's something you have to be careful about. And I think right. I think Father Matt was thinking, especially Father Kuzak, because I think he felt a little bad for him because I think he even got like doxxed and stuff like that. Yeah, and so, I think that that's where it gets really bad. Yeah, so uh, the things that Father uh, Cusack was tweeting, none of them were untrue. None of them were untrue. Um, he was tweeting about gender stuff and no, he was, all kinds no, of No, no, he was tweeting about shoulders and modesty. Oh, yeah, that was it. But then he also jumped on, if you saw his Twitter account, oh. he was just kind of going off on a lot of things. Oh, so okay. about modesty, and like I said, I don't think he was, he's not wrong about modesty being a good thing, but just the way he handled it. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of, it seemed like he kind of started to like lean into the whole um, triggering the libs kind of things. Yeah. And he started to like kind of revel in his own like getting people angry about it. Yeah. And it sort of became less about telling a truth for the sake of conversion or for the sake of warning and more of just self-indulgence. Yeah. And, and who knows what that was. That was my interpretation of it. And that's I, how I, would I saw agree it. With that. I would and agree I was getting that. a little disappointed because he, he, I mean, he helps a lot of people. A lot of people will listen to him on Twitter and not so much us because of the different uh, personalities, which is fine, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But it was disappointing them to kind of lean into this. A lot of times the telling of hard truths on Twitter is less about spreading the gospel and more about a self-indulgence hiding behind an anonymous account, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but he was just kind of doing it He's not anonymous, of course, but there was a lack of prudence uh, yep. in what he was saying. Yep. Not you know the, the truth of the truth. What he was saying was true. I think there's uh, uh, prudence in the way uh, he was doing it. So yeah, you gotta watch out. I don't know if he was right about the shoulders modesty thing. Oh, that's the whole thing. Do we want to get into that? Well, no, no. I'm just saying like, you're saying that you felt like he, what you said it was true, but that, because that's what he was getting ratioed on. Right, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't agree with him there. I think. Okay, so we got we got explain this real quick. Yeah. So basically, he was telling a story about how a priest called someone out, uh, a woman out, for uh, having exposed shoulders at mass, mm-hmm. and he basically said this is a good thing, and we need to be modest in church. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you think that your church that women should have their shoulders covered at mass, I don't think that's a big deal. That's what they do in Rome. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. We, I think there's room for debate there. Sure, yeah. uh, and, and but- different. Their shoulders. Things, yeah, things, uh, shoulders mean different things in different cultures. I mean, that's it. (laughs) You know? Okay, fine. Uh, But calling someone out in the middle of mass or at mass, that's not a prudent way to deal with that. Nope. And what the discussion on Twitter became about was not so much about this specific instance, but modesty in general. Right. And some people were like, oh, you think that people should have shoulders not covered at mass. That must mean you don't care about modesty. I'm like, it became so disingenuous on, yeah. on every side. Uh, and there's, it was, it was dumb. It became a very, very dumb argument because yeah. it was about, not about what actually happened. But I just stayed away from the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. there you go. Twitter can be oh. a dangerous and bad place sometimes. Yeah. Thank you, Marianne, and thank you, Father Matt. Uh, thank you for supporting us, and thank you to everyone who supports our podcast. And speaking of priests exhorting people, let's go into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn oh, 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 It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, oh, the oh, best part. Oh, oh, What are we going to learn about today? We are going to learn about the liturgical year. So what kind of of prompted this for me was um, this week I'm doing two Eucharistic processions. One I did today at our school because it was partly just because of timing. I would have liked to have done it Thursday, but it was just also a whole bunch of timing stuff that Mm -hmm. didn't quite work out. Um, But um, we... We uh, we got to so we did this today and it was really beautiful, very simple. Just we didn't. I was going to make it a big thing. And I thought, no, no. First year doing it here, let's just do something small and simple. Yeah. And most of the kids aren't Catholic anyways, so you don't want to <laughs> overwhelm them. Sure. Uh, yeah. Baby steps. <laughs> baby steps. So we just went around the playground with the Eucharist, 
That's and, awesome. Which was really awesome. So, um, and then on Sunday, we're doing your procession. And just please, people, pray, pray, pray. It's supposed to rain now on Sunday. And the reason that sucks is because we were also going to do a barbecue afterwards. And I'm just like, please, oh. please, please don't rain. Please don't rain. Yeah. Um, but it kind of got me starting to ponder liturgical year stuff because it's really there's really something profound and beautiful about how we mark the year as Catholics. Um, you know, because like there's those typical questions that people ask. Why do I have to go to church every Sunday? Or why do I have to go to church at all? I remember talking to someone once. They said, well, the forest is my church, right? Uh, have you heard that one before? Or the, the ocean is my church. And I'm like, this is, how this often is a do you metaphor. go to that church, by the way? Okay, this is a metaphor. I don't know where I heard it. I stole it from someone. I don't know if I mentioned the podcast, but it's my favorite way to like kind of explain this sort of thing. Yes, you can experience God anywhere, but you need to go to church. Like, there's water vapor in the air, unless you live in Arizona, but why right. would you live there? It's a terrible, godless place. But like everywhere else, there's water vapor in the air, right? Yeah. But if you want to drink the water, you need to go to a fountain. Yeah. What do you yeah, think about that? I think that's a good analogy. The other, I mean, for me, there's something, you see, there's a difference between, and this is something we're going to talk about in another podcast. We talk about worship as a particular theme. It's something we want to talk about in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, you can worship God anywhere as yourself, as an individual human being. You can literally worship God anywhere you want. Yeah. But we don't go to church to worship God. We go to church to be lifted up into Christ's worship of the Father. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh no, oh no, have I been preaching the wrong thing? No, yeah. I have. Okay, we're good, yeah. right, we're right. Yeah. Yes, um, we're so, lifted into Christ's worship. Yeah, yes. exactly. This is not, what we do at Mass is not our work. While what we do in nature or what we're doing at our homes or whatever, that often is our work. Obviously always infused with grace, but that's more our work. But something that happens at Mass is not something we could do on our own without Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's the real difference between going to church and just going out into nature. You can, yeah, I mean, I, I was on the ferry yesterday and I just loved looking out in the ocean. It was something beautiful and it was something ecstatic about it, but it's not the same as church. Right. Um, so all these things have got me to think about the church's liturgical year. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff with this. What I would recommend to people is, surprise, surprise, a writing by Ratzinger. Uh, called the spirit, <laughs> the spirit of the liturgy. Uh, probably one of his his really kind of cornerstone works as mm-hmm. as a writer. Uh, a great book that talks about a whole bunch of things around liturgy. And apparently, Father Anthony hasn't finished it yet. I have read a third of it two times, <laughs> which basically means I've almost read the entire book. You got to finish the book. I know. It's so I good. I gotta do my homework. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to call you out there. I, no, no. You go again. It's totally fair. I should I, be better at reading books. I don't think I've read... When's the last time I read a full book? Like, I just... Maybe it was seminary, because you just read articles and chapters mm-hmm. that I just stopped reading entire books. Mm-hmm. It's a bad thing. I would like to read books as well, but there's also, you know, Rocket League for Xbox, so it's... It's tough. This is, this is an area of virtue that I'm lacking. See, so, last week, I I mean, they're all smaller books, but I read three books last week. Well, I mean, you don't need to rub it in. But I just did. Nah, you did. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, but it's, it is. It's, it's, good. it's a good book. It's a good book. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> anyway, in there, he talks about this idea of time and space and liturgy. And I'm not going to go into everything he says, but I, there's a very simple principle to why we mark days and months and year and the year and weeks and everything in the, with liturgy because we are incar- we are embodied people we are an incarnational people we belong to a space like a a localness there's a localness to who we are mm-hmm. and we belong to a particular time we belong to this moment to this period to this epoch and liturgy uh touches this kind of concrete place and time like when we're ce- when I'm celebrating mass in my parish it's Christ making present his crucifixion and resurrection for these people in this town. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. It's, it's, it's a concrete place to come and encounter him. But it's also that through this, Jesus draws us up into eternity, right? It's the meeting place. And this is why the priest is the mediator. He's the one who helps connect eternity and time. Um, or the, the, the life, the place of the Trinity with the place here on earth. It's mm-hmm. this connecting point. The mass is that the bridge between those two things, really. And so that's why liturgy is something both very familiar and also something ecstatic, something that draws us out of ourselves. 
And his whole purpose is this, and I think this is really important. And speaking of Matt Fish, as we did earlier, he mentioned this on Twitter last week as well. It's worth mentioning again, right, that Christianity is not a, a philosophy. It's not even a religion. It's not, it's not an ethical system, but it's meant to draw us into the mystery of Christ's life. Mm-hmm. Right? So the liturgical year and the liturgy itself is a place where we participate in a mysterious, though real way, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's by participating in that over and over again that we are drawn deeper into the mystery of who Jesus is and that we kind of take that on into our very life. So, and, and when you start to look at your life, if the liturgy is something that touches our concreteness, well, there's things to our life, right? There's rhythms, right? There's rhythms to life. This is something the pagans really understood. And that's why sometimes people look at Christian liturgy and they see paganism. But it's, no, actually, the, <laughs> paganism, the pagans actually saw something important, they saw something true, right? Yeah. Their festivals around the solstices and and um, and the different seasons all understood that there is a rhythm to life, that we have a daily rhythm, we have a weekly rhythm, we have a monthly rhythm, and we have a yearly rhythm. And that this and the church actually says the, sees this and blesses it and gives us her calendar to draw us into the mystery of Christ's life. So that through the rhythm of the year we too have had a chance to encounter and, and know Jesus Christ through these different church seasons. Sorry, I, I monologued there. So what do you got to say? No, that was good. Yeah, because the, the fun part about our faith is this interplay, what you said, between the finite and the infinite. So like, how do we as creatures who are going through time, how do we participate in the infinite? Mm-hmm. And we do it through this kind of rhythm this kind of taking of time and like looping it together mm-hmm. or this interplay of time. Like how do we metaphorically in a sense enter into the eternal? We do it through times and seasons and rhythms. It's the same way that any kind of like good poetry works. If you want bad poetry will always be vague. It will use um, kind of these very lofty sort of words. Good poetry will be very concrete and use concrete images, but those concrete images are precisely what propels you into the infinite. Um, yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, this is all about the incarnation, really. Uh, it's all it's all reflections of the incarnation. The infinite God becoming finite and in seeing him in this finite body, we are able to enter deeply into the infinite it's this interplay between the two things i hope some of this makes sense because i get real excited about it because i love it um but it's this way that yeah just the the, how infinite and finite how they play together and it's a good thing yeah if you want i think a good introduction to what we're kind of talking about here is the episode we did on on like on um Jesus, we talked about Jesus Christ as yesterday, today, and forever from Pope Benedict, that, that sacramental vision of what it means to be human. Yeah, um, a sacramental vision. This, this, is all, this, is all, this, is all, this is all part of that, right? And that, so we are that, and here's the other thing. It's like God ordered the whole creation, right? That's the whole yeah. point of, of the first two chapters of Genesis is about this ordering that God determined on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. God is the one who's giving the reason, meaning, and purpose to all things in creation. And so while, yes, we do live in a fallen world, and so the fall affects our appreciation. Like The rhythms, I think, would have been seen prior to the fall more as a something very joyful and jovial and solemn and life-giving and and leisurely. but now we almost see the rhythms as repetitive and doldrum. Like, um, you know, people will talk about like certain rhythms in music, how if it's like a da, 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 it kind of kind of gets you, like your arms almost slouch because you're just like, yes, this is the drudgery of life. And so we look at this negatively, but actually there is a meaning and purpose to how God ordered things, even though it it's fallen. How it's fallen is a whole other question. But there's something good here that God's saying, no, there's something worth redeeming here in these rhythms. Yeah. Because you can even, in a poetic way, talk about the rhythm of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And so, not that I'm not talking about it in terms of time, obviously. Right, right. right. I'm just saying, like, that's why I said poetically. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. yeah. Okay, so even though you, we do experience that, we've even in the secular sort of sense of rhythm, yeah. there's 
you know, that excitement around the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. You get excited for it. But also, I think everyone's experienced a kind of relief when the Christmas season is over, right. you know, at times too. You know, there's an excitement for when summer starts, when you're, you know, um, a, a student. But also, I think everyone has experienced that, you know what, it's time to do something again. And going back to school, it's its own. Ex- so we experience, even in kind of secular senses, the joys as well as, in the fallen sense, the the negatives of rhythm. So we know yeah. it kind of intuitively. Both and, and here, I I think I might even mention this on the podcast before, but this is why Gregorian chant has a pride of place in the liturgy. By the way, okay, it, it has a rhythm. Yeah, but not a one, two, three, four, five, six, it's seven, yeah. eight. It's one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. It gets it, uh, one. When I was doing a chant workshop once, they kind of explained it. It's like the um, the tide of the ocean coming in on the beach. For, yeah. It comes in, it goes out, but it doesn't always come in at the same time. But there's mm-hmm. also still a rhythm to that. It gets still doing its thing, but it's coming in on its own time. There's a freedom and there's a there's it's it, the, the whole idea of chant is that it's meant to draw us out of this kind of like um, drudgery of rhythm into a more eternal rhythm. And this yeah. is the whole idea. So anyway, so this is what the church really sees and appreciates. And so the whole the whole liturgical season, the, all the the whole of of the liturgical year is meant to draw us into Christ's life. And this is why we begin with Advent, because Advent is not just there's the, we all know the famous phrases. There's two. Really, it celebrates two comings, right? Yes, two Advents. Two Advents. And one Advent. Yes, exactly. There is the. Uh, we we are uh, anticipating the birth of Christ. That's what we normally think of. Yeah. But also, and even prior to that, we are looking forward to the end of the world. That's right. The second coming of Jesus Christ. So the beginning and the end. And that's why in the first two weeks of Advent especially, it actually really focuses and hones us in. And actually really the whole um, Advent season actually hones us in onto the Old Testament. Yeah. Because to become this, to experience this waiting for the Messiah, you have to experience Israel's waiting as a church. And we are the new Israel who's always waiting for Christ to come anew to us. And so the whole Advent season is about being drawn into Israel's waiting for Jesus to come. And and for the new Israel, and that's why, they, so Israel's waiting for the incarnation and the new Israel's waiting for the second coming, right? This is why those two things come together. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so that's the reason. And so that's a mystery that we're drawn into. And that's why there is the living of that time in a very, there is a, there's a bit more somberness because it's a bit of a, that waiting puts us into a sense that we are not fulfilled yet. Right? Yeah. So that's the Advent season. And that's kind of the main reason and purpose for it is to draw us into that mystery so that it can prepare our hearts for when that time of Christmas comes. And Christmas is the time where Jesus, and, and this is the key thing with all this, Listen to the prayers on these major feasts. Yes. Often they will say the word today. Yep. Today. Not on this day when you brought Jesus, but like today you bring Jesus. Like today the, the Savior is born. Um, you know, it's the, the, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting that Christmas hymn now. Today is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. You know, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, but they're saying today. Or even even most recently, if you were praying uh, the uh, Easter season, if you're using the first preface mm-hmm. for the Easter season, the you would say uh, during the octave, this day. Exactly. Like, as in every day of the octave is the day that Christ, the, the one day Christ rose from the dead. And, and this is going to be the key theme to take about the major feasts. This day or the today is, um, this is the concreteness, our day today. This past is now made present to us in a real way so that we participate in it just as really as the disciples did 2,000 years ago. Yeah, and this is why Eucharistic Prayer 1 is the best one, Mm -hmm. um, Father Joe in black, because when you hold the chalice, as you're about to have the chalice consecrated, you say, he took this sacred chalice exactly not a chalice this one this exactly. one that you hold in your hands is the chalice you want to yeah. know what the holy grail is whatever chalice you're using at mass is the holy grail because exactly. we're entering into that moment mystically mm-hmm. yeah and it's the same thing like so when the conclusion of of um 
the Christmas season ends, it's on the baptism of the Lord. And and when you're reading the breviary, it's like today he is revealed to us. Like it's it's a conclusion of the celebration of Epiphany. And this is like that that key phrase is today. Listen, listen, listen to it. Because it's meant to emphasize to us that we are participating really and truly in something that's now made eternally present through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who universalizes the concrete aspects of Jesus's life for the whole church. And this is why we live in this kind of sacramental system. These are the means by which Jesus allows us to enter into that mystery. Now we get into something controversial. Oh, yeah. Ordinary time. Ordinary time is that, how, what can be controversial about ordinary time? Some ordinary time is far too boring to be controversial, Father Harrison. A lot of people don't like it. Because they don't like green? Um, they don't like it because there's always different feasts that follow, or there's different, it's, it, the calendar was never uh, according to just ordinary time, but it was always like, um, you know, like um, first Sunday after Pentecost, second Sunday after Pentecost, or first Sunday after Epiphany, second Sunday after Epiphany, etc. So you're saying ordinary time is a new thing? You see, I, I don't know the whole history of this, so I'm going to okay, reserve yeah. opinion on that. My guess is yes, it was a new thing. I think but, certainly the emphasis, we can say for sure, yeah. in the old calendar, before the reforms, yeah. like every day was a saint's feast day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still parts of the, even you know, the Roman church that use the old calendar, and that's, that's a good thing. So sometimes when you want to find your obscure saint that you really like, you're going to have to go to the old calendar to find the feast day. You might not find it in the new calendar so much. Right. There is this emphasis after the reforms in kind of like ordinariness. You have something called a ferial day, which is... Nothing is being nothing extraordinary in the common sense is being celebrated. Yeah, it's and and on those days you can even do optional stuff. You can have your own votive mass. Say you like Saint Joseph, it's a ferial day. You can just celebrate a day of Saint Joseph. So there's a kind of emphasis on the ordinary. I think you can definitely yeah. say in the new calendar. Right. So now I just actually discovered this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm forgetting the exact wording someone used, but. Ordinary kind of makes mistranslates it a bit. Um, uh-huh. It's meant to be kind of more like a ordered time. So like like ordering as in like counting. So like it's the first week, it's the second week, and the third week. Like it's just like a when you order something, like when you're putting something in order, you're counting it, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. in, in fact, in the Latin, it's tempus per annum. So it's the times of the year. So the, it'd be the first week of the tempus per annum and the second week of the tempus per annum. So um, the first, uh, so ordinary, like, I think what has happened is that we've kind of almost banalized it too much. Well, have we? Because it sounds like your other translation is just like, it's just like saying, this is the first week of time. This is the second week of yeah, time. That I sounds pretty ordinary in both senses to me. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna let's not get bogged down, down. Let's not in get ordinary down. time. Okay. No one likes getting bogged down in ordinary time. <laughs> but you can look at this um, symbolically, though, as the kind of the time of Jesus's earthly life. Yeah, I think right? that's what the scriptures really emphasize. And you listen about. I mean, it. Yes, it does focus on the ministry after baptism and stuff like that, because that's when his ministry. That's when his ministry becomes public. But um, the whole idea is is. What was Jesus's life like, and that that's what we're participating in, which means the ups, the downs, uh, the the triumphs and the struggles, uh, the joys and the exhaustion, and all that stuff that comes in between. Those are the things you're going to hear, and you're going to get a lot more Old Testament readings that you might not hear all the time. Like you're getting like uh, you're getting some books from like Judges and all that stuff. That uh, so it's stuff we might not hear during the big seasons. Yeah, but yeah, um, so yeah, that's kind of. That and it, it gets broken up by Lent, right? Right, which begins with Ash Wednesday, and so uh, the idea of Lent is yes, it's this journeying of these forty days, um, Jesus's forty days in the desert, and um, and again, it's a participation. This is why parishes like to do things like parish missions. This is why they like to do things like Stations of the Cross. This is why I like to offer more confessions. It's because it's a time to really repent, to be with Christ in the desert. Again, this is the thing. We're not just like imitating or reflecting, oh, what was it like for Jesus? No, we are with him in the desert. Yeah. In a mysterious way, we are connected to him in the desert. That's amazing. Like, that's like yep. every time I think of, speak about this, I'm just like, if we only could comprehend what we actually do in the liturgy. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and uh, so this is 
when Jesus is saying, you know, for those who have eyes, for those, you know, see, for those who have ears, like when you hear that in scripture, you can apply that very easily to what's going on. A lot of us go through the liturgical year having eyes but not seeing, mm-hmm. having ears but not hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have experienced the liturgical year as a kind of blandness. What color are we wearing today? But it's through prayer, and especially through, I think, personal prayer that helps you enter into the liturgical prayer and the church's prayer. Mm-hmm. So by just by learning about this stuff, now you kind of know what to pray about a little more so that you can get excited and enter into this time. Because in, especially in these different times, like you will get special and specific graces in Christmas that you may not get in ordinary time yeah. or in Easter. Like the Lord will, it works with his church because the church is his bride. Yeah. And by ordering these things, the church, uh, Christ uh, enters into that as well. So yeah. by praying with the liturgical year, you can enter more deeply into the life of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, and this is why to, yeah, anyways. Um, and then Holy Week is very awesome, right? Because <laughs> every, Holy Week is very good to me. <laughs> every, it, every day is emphasized. Every day is particular. And you're literally going, every day is, a, like there's, we call Wednesday, Spy Wednesday, because that's the day Judas betrayed Jesus. So that the next, So that the next day, he will then go, with the crowds to, to to drag Jesus on Holy Thursday, right? To which he'll be crucified mm-hmm. on Good Friday. And again, um, like I love, this is my favorite one, and this is where the idea first struck me was when Pope Benedict on one of his Holy Thursday homilies was reflecting on Eucharistic Prayer 1 because there's a slight change in it on Holy Thursday. Do you know what that mm-hmm. one is? I don't remember. Okay. On the day before he was to suffer... That is that is today. Today, yes, now, uh, yeah, yeah. His whole homily was on the hodie, which is Latin for today. That yeah. was his whole homily. That one word uh, and what that meant, and it was kind of expressing this whole vision that we've been talking about. It's just that's mm-hmm. what kind of, I mean, that's the whole thing. Today we are with Christ, and like, and you really experience that when you're carrying the Eucharist through the church into the altar repose. You're journeying with Him to the garden. You're spending time. Yeah. You're keeping awake with Him while the disciples couldn't, etc. Like all these amazing things. These aren't. They have a symbolic character, but they also have a real character to them. Right. Yeah. And then, anyways, yeah. So, and we mark each day of that with all of that. Um, and then obviously there's Easter, right? And so Easter begins on that. We begin it on the vigil because, and, and, and we, and we, and every, there's uh mass during the night, there is mass in the morning and there's at, at dawn. And then there's the mass uh, during the day on Easter Sunday, there's different masses for the different periods of the day. And then marking that with 50 days. Well, yeah, 50 days of the Easter season. Because that's 50 days to Pentecost, right? That's what Pentecost means. It means 50 yep. to end and culminate the Easter season. Um, this is what we mark. We and In each of these things, we're participating in different aspects of Jesus's life because we, and part of it's too, because there are moments and there are places in our life that have the drudgery and the difficulties. And those times of Lent and Advent can be those times where they really kind of draw us into those things more deeply. And then you have the times of the joy, like with Easter and Christmas, which is why like you eat differently during those times, et cetera, because you're living out the joys of your human life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to conclude with a couple special things about li- living liturgical time. And then maybe we could talk about some ways to live this as well at the end. First thing I want to talk about is special feasts, because this is where it happens every year on Twitter. People complain about um, Ascension Thursday or Ascension Sunday. Which one oh, is it? Right. right? Yep. And I think... I pray and I hope we return to the universal practice of Ascension Thursday. Yeah. So why why is it that we want to have it on Thursday? Why do we want Holy Thursday on Holy Thursday? No. Ascension Thursday on Thursday. Or why do we want <laughs> well, the Ascension on Thursday? My brain just like turned off. Ascension <laughs> I can Thursday see your eyes are glazing over. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, no, no, no. So Ascension Thursday there. is important to have it on Thursday. So that way there's nine days until... Pentecost, and that is the first novena. Yeah, exactly. So this is, you enter into what the apostles and Mary and the disciples would have experienced, this nine days of waiting for the Holy Spirit. Exactly. When you move that to a Sunday, because we don't, I don't know, care about our religion enough to go on on a Thursday, I don't know. But when you do that, you kind of remove that symbolic experience and therefore, you kind of twist the reality 
of that experience. If you change the symbol, you change the reality. And you're also and saying I don't like it. And you're also saying this day isn't really that important. Yep. If you just keep moving around, if you just keep on moving around, or you're saying you don't have to go to mass that day because, like, I think then too it says really, oh, the ascension. Ah, yeah, you know, it's a nice thing, but we don't really. It's like no, no. There's a there is a deep importance to this day, and we can't, and yeah. we need to mark our lives. And I'll kind of. I'll end off with that in a bit, like why marking our days with this is important. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Exactly. Those nine days or Corpus Christi is traditionally on a Thursday. Why Thursday? Why would we pick a Thursday instead of a Friday or a Wednesday for Corpus Christi? Do you have an answer? Uh, oh, we take a Thursday for Corpus Christi. Be- Wait, we pick Friday or Thursday? Thursday. Usually. Oh, yeah, Thursday because uh, because uh, Holy Thursday is the institution of the priesthood and the institution of the Eucharist. Exactly. And so if you're going to celebrate the Eucharist, do it on a Thursday. Exactly. I mean, and Thursday is also a, a, usually a, a popular day to, um, if you're going to fast or do something for the priesthood, a lot of people do that on a Thursday. Yeah. Or like if it's ordinary time, I'll often do a votive mass for priests on the Thursday mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So exactly. we we're, That's why Corpus Christi is usually on a Thursday. Um, so, the, and, and all these things. And, and I think... Um, I think marking our life with the liturgical year is so important because it then starts to draw us into ordering our life according to the mysteries of Christ's life. And it yeah. starts to make his life more real. And we start to, you know, when you start to meal plan, for example, because it's a Friday and you don't want to yeah. eat meat. Or yeah. um, it's like, I love Sacred Heart every year because it's on a Friday, right? Yeah. And Friday's our day to eat. When it's a solemnity on a Friday, you eat meat, and it is yep. glorious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're doing all these things to – you start to mark your year this way. I know families that during Advent and Lent, because they order their year so much around the liturgical calendar, they do processions in their homes. They do hymns and stuff like this. They do different activities. I mean, there's – and I'm sure there's a lot of families who have a lot of great advice about what we can do. But the important part of this is to say we are concrete creatures, and we are, we are embodied creatures, and there is a rhythm to life. And there is, because here's the thing, there is a competing calendar, right? Yeah. There is the secular calendar, which competes against us. And again, the, the church has always kind of lived in those, that, that way, in that tension. But and it's not to say it's a bad calendar. It's just to say, which calendar will form me first? And if we say the liturgical calendar, then it starts, you start to actually experience that rhythm. And you start to experience eternity, not just when you go to Mass, not just when you're um, going on these special feast days, but you start to experience it every day and every week. When you start with morning prayer in the mornings, because it's a good time to start off your day, when you end your day with night prayer, when you cap your week with weekly mass, when you cap those special festivities with a great meal and good times with friends, all these things start to, you, you just start to kind of naturally intuit the whole mystery of Christ's life and the whole mystery uh-huh. of the church. And it gives you life and you may not even be able to explain it all. And that's okay. But you just start to kind of see these things. And that's why I think living the liturgical calendar, embracing it, seeing its importance can actually be incredibly life-giving. Good. I think we end on that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, you guys can't see his Father Anthony definitely looks like he's, uh, he's fading. <laughs> I am. I am. All it's right. because, yeah, I had to pick up my youth minister from the airport because he's just traveling all over the place and his plane gets delayed and I don't get any sleep because I'm such a good charitable person and now I'm cranky because I'm tired. Here's the deal. If he's able to yes. just fly all over the place, you're obviously paying him too much. Definitely paying at Catholic Pat too much. <laughs> Gonna have to fire him. Exactly. Uh, thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Fr Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalBod on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is Clerically Speaking, or email us at ClericallySpeaking at gmail.com. God bless. Peace.